Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 36 of the Great Canadian Hockey Podcast. Uh, um, as we've been, Aiden and I have been talking about all week, we're coming off of what we feel is our best banger of an episode last episode. So we'll hope we can uh, live up to those lofty expectations here. And uh, speaking of my co-host, Aiden Sarah, how are we doing, fella? How is the uh, the Great White North treating you? I imagine it's getting a little little chilly over there. Okay, so it snowed like today for the first time. We're recording this on Monday, October 23rd. So it snowed a lot. Now, James, you would think, right? Like all these people that live in Alberta, they're not all new to the province, right? Like there's people who have lived through multiple years here. So you'd think that like the snow being a thing wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. And then people would have winter tires and or cars with all-wheel drive and not make the roads terrible because i had four-wheel drive and winter tires but nobody else seemed to so driving around today was a nightmare i don't understand how everybody can just not like i think three car accidents happened outside the office today just because people can't stop and would rear end each other. Like, <laughs> I don't understand how every year this happens. And like, uh, how do you drive in this if you've lived in Alberta for more than a year? You know what I mean? And this is your second winter there. How's this one stack up to last year so far? It's it's earlier. That's the bummer is it did not snow in October last year. As far as I can remember, I'm pretty sure it was an unusually late year. Um, but yeah, I, I don't enjoy like, you know, stepping into ankle deep snow in the morning when I completely just wasn't ready for that at all, but it's okay. However, this doesn't mean that it's going to be a snowy heritage classic that I'm going to go to next week. Hey, that could be a plus. That could be pretty cool. You know what wouldn't be cool is Connor McDavid not playing in that game. Oh, so, okay. Well, I guess we've got some hockey talk right off the hop here, as this is a hockey podcast. Um, all right. Well, let's let's lead off there. Hey, Connor McDavid out one to two weeks, I believe. Yeah. Now Jay Woodcroft did say that he doesn't he's not ruling out McDavid for the Heritage Classic. Um, I would be surprised if he does play for a couple of reasons. Those outdoor games, man, like we saw Sidney Crosby famously in a winter classic get hurt. The adverse conditions just make it a more sporadic game. It's a less controlled environment, right? So when you have somebody who's potentially nursing an injury, you actually probably don't want them playing in that game, right? Because at the end of the day, this is a regular season game. And it's a regular season game early in the year where the Oilers not only have high expectations, but they've struggled out of the gate. So I would be surprised if he played because of this injury. Obviously, every fan in attendance is going to want to see him play. Um, But James, the Oilers, man, I don't know. I don't know what to say anymore. Like, I feel like the criticisms here are going to be the same ones that are always the criticisms of the Oilers. And what do you think? Is Is it as simple as they need to improve team defense and goaltending because... Like, I feel like we're kind of beating a dead horse with that, right? 
how long can we keep saying that and not saying it is a uh, um uh, an issue as a whole maybe um a compound effect of things not getting fixed and all of these things becoming habits um how long are we going to sit here and say they just need to improve these two things and everything's going to be perfect i understand what you're saying but Cody CC's on the second pair with Darnell Nurse, right? So it's it's and as good as Darnell Nurse can be, that's a defense pairing that I don't have a lot of faith in their defensive ability, right? Vincent DeHarnay is still in their top six, and I don't have a lot of faith in him either. Brett Kulak's a decent six seven guy. Matthias Eckholm and Evan Boucher makes a solid first pair, but that's a defense six that needs a strong goaltender to backstop them and they don't have it right. Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner both look very shaky going into this season. I, I don't know, man. Like I think, I think there needs to be something significant that happens here. The Eckholm trade was something significant. I think what, what could the Oilers get for Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Um, I was really not ready for that question. And I don't feel like I have an answer for you because my mind immediately goes to, okay, what's a player's value in assets? Let's start talking draft picks slash prospects. And then we can, we can go to hockey trades from there once we've determined value. That's the way my brain works on that front. And I don't know what, what, what is he worth? A, a couple first rounders and a prospect. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Two first round picks and an a prospect B prospect that probably like, probably like a B plus a minus prospect. Yeah. No, I, I like, I do like that. Now the thing is you're not trading him to a team that like that trade between Edmonton and the other team that would be taking Nugent Hopkins Edmonton doesn't want that package, right? They, they no, want... no, no. So you you start thinking of okay, what is a defenseman slash goalie slash defenseman goalie combo that's worth that? No, I know what you mean. Like, it's and it's hard because what you're basically needing to do, and uh, honestly, James, like I I'm looking at a team like I'm looking at a team like Columbus. They're a team that wants to take a step forward and. I think Nugent Hopkins can help them. They have a surplus of defensemen, right? Like, I think that's I think that's where the first call should be from the Edmonton Oilers. And I know you don't want to trade Nugent Hopkins, and that was... You really don't want to trade Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, and, and that was pretty off the cuff in terms of... But, but that's kind of representative of what I'm talking about, of what Edmonton needs to do. Because, like, Matias Ekholm, that's a big get. But at the end of the day, it's still not... Like, you you need you need that trade. You need that big thing to happen because it feels like they're going in circles every year. It's there. They get close. It's like, Oh, they just need a, a small Im- improvement in defense or goaltending. And then we're back to square one. Right. Is Ryan Nugent Hopkins worth Travis Sanheim and Carter Hart? I would say yes. I just don't know if the financials they- need so much tweaking. So many other things have to go in there. Well, there's that. I was more going to say, are the Philadelphia Flyers as an organization right now and where the team is in the position to be making that trade? No. 
Yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of where that that just makes you so limited in your options, right? Like is yeah. is Ryan Nugent Hopkins plus asset A, B, or C worth Thomas Shabbat? I don't think Ottawa makes that trade anyway. I don't think Ottawa makes that trade either. I'm just trying yeah. to think who has a surplus of defensemen. Yeah, well, in Ottawa's left side is Shabbat, Chikrin, Sanderson. So it's not a flawed line of thinking to maybe target one of those left shot D. Yeah, I, I think I think we could sit here for a long time and come up with random Nugent Hopkins mock trades. I'm more just saying that's that's what I think the Oilers need to do in terms of gravity. That's the size of a thing they need to do because these small add a player, you know, hope Broberg takes a step, uh, Brett Kulak acquisition kind of moves aren't working. They're just not like this is a win now team that is struggling out of the gate. And if they continue to struggle, kind of need a big, big boom into that roster. Totally, totally. I see what you mean. And I mean, just to very lightly spitball before we move on here, what can they move that isn't Ryan Nugent Hopkins that can help them add one of these pieces? Well, they, you'd have to start looking at a Dylan Holloway, right? That's a Dylan the only Holloway. thing that came to mind for me. Yeah, or Ryan McLeod. McLeod's a solid B prospect, right? Middle six upside. I like him as a, I like him as a third line center for the Edmonton Oilers, right? And... Philip Broberg's value is starting to, to dwindle a little bit. They have Reid Schaefer in the prospect pipeline. I don't love the way the Oilers have drafted of late. It's not terrible, but it's definitely, definitely not helping them too much. Um, Because realistically, like you should have, you should have some more young players that we can be talking about right now. And they just don't. Right. I didn't like the Reid Schaefer pick. It hasn't aged very well. And, realistically like you look at you look at a team like the vegas golden knights and we keep asking ourselves like how do they have the assets to trade for ivan barbashev well it's because they got zach dean at whatever 30th overall right like (laughs) that's the reality of it is that's where you need to find the value is in your late picks and the oilers haven't been able to do that either um now you mentioned the ottawa senators and james like (sighs) I do want to kind of go back and revisit the episode in the summer we did when Debrinka got traded because I definitely was pretty harsh on him. Um, and now he has eight goals and 12 points in six games. <laughs> did we not have an entire texting conversation about how you don't think he's really worth much and, and, and you weren't feeling the acquisition for them? We had a texting conversation where I was questioning, like valuing him at the, at the 40 goal, 80 point player that, you know, the reports were kind of valuing him at because I didn't see that being a consistent number that he was going to hit. Um, now, again, we talk about seasons and anomalies. Alex DeBrinkett has had seasons all over the map and he's started this year trying to prove that it's the bad years that are the anomalies, right? And the good season is the real Alex DeBrinkett. I didn't like the way he played in Ottawa last year, man. Right. I didn't, he looked unengaged. He looked, <laughs> he looked bored. I know that sounds like silly, but you know what I mean? Right. Like he, he just didn't look like he, he didn't look too interested in what he was doing when he was on the ice, but six games in man, him and Dylan Larkin look unreal. Larkin's got three goals and 11 points to bring. has got eight goals and 12 points. And 
the Detroit Red Wings are getting some good production out of Shane Goss just a bit randomly. He's point per game through six games. Andrew Kopp, Joe Valeno. I wanted to shout out Michael Rasmussen. He only has two points in six games, but he's playing really, really good hockey. He was a guy that I watched when he was in the Tri-City Americans. His last year of junior, they played the Kelowna Rockets in the first round, and I happened to be in Kelowna during that first round, so I went to the home games for the Rockets. The guy, James, he looked like he, he looked like he could be he looked like he could be Todd Bertuzzi when Bertuzzi was on the Canucks during that series. He had 16 goals in 14 playoff games that year. And I thought this kid was going to head and it just, it didn't work out for him. It didn't work out for him. He had a decent last couple of years, but he's playing really good hockey right now. And for a ninth overall pick that didn't look like he was going to work out. He's, he's starting to look like he's working out. Right. Um, I mean, while we're, while we're in Detroit here and we're uh, kind of uh, amending things we've said about um, players they've picked up, I talked so much smack to my friends about the Justin Hall signing. I did not see any merit or value in this. I, I didn't really think, I, th- I thought this guy deserved more of a prove-it contract somewhere else. And uh, three points in five games and he's a plus nine. Yeah, he's played good defensive hockey. What I will say in your defense in that situation, I still think they've they need to do a better job at freeing up space for Simone Edvinson to make the team, right? He's a good player. He's kind of running into the same thing that David Juracek is running into in Columbus, where you probably are an NHL defenseman. It's just we have six other NHL defensemen and you don't need waivers, right? Like, and it's, it sucks, but that's where he's at. And so, but you know what? Evanson's a left shot D so you can kind of point to like an all Imada and say, well then move him, right? Keep Justin Hall, yeah. play Edmondson with Hall then. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really, really cheering for Robbie Fabry this year too. He's already hurt, I think, which. Are we always cheering for Robbie Fabry? Isn't that yeah. a thing? Yeah. I do I do think there's a standing like hope that Robbie Fabry can turn it around. Um, but constant knee problems have have very much stunted his NHL career. But yeah, Detroit looks Detroit looks good. And I think I think obviously the consistency piece is gonna be important, but they're pretty deep, man. And I think if Ville Husso can be a solid starter caliber goaltender all season, they could really target, like they look better than Buffalo and Ottawa so far. And we were talking about Buffalo and Ottawa taking those Atlantic division playoff spots. And I thought Detroit was a step behind, but so far they look a step ahead. I will say, I do think Ottawa looks sick. Like when you watch them structurally, they're very, it's like a tantalizing offense to watch. You're, you're immediately drawn into what they're doing, the plays they're making their breakout passes. But I mean, just getting out of Ottawa, getting out of Detroit, um, and these teams that, I mean, you know, are struggling or doing great out the gate. I think just as a whole, we don't have this in our rundown, but how nice has this start of the season been? I just want to say, like, the hockey has been incredible to watch. We've had so many storylines. I feel really jazzed up about the sport right now. How do you feel? I agree with you. Like, it's it's... It's been a lot of fun to watch and it it's not just the NHL and maybe, maybe it's just, you know, we're hockey fans and we're excited to watch hockey. That's part of it. But even James junior hockey has been great so far. NCAA, the start of NCAA hockey has been really fun to watch too. Macklin Celebrini at, at uh, Boston university has been, a, been a really fun player to track so far, man. He scored some highlight reel goals already 
the projected first overall pick in this upcoming draft. Quickly back to the Ottawa Senators. Josh Norris, two goals, three points in his first two games after returning from injury. How much do we love to see that? Like, so happy for this guy. He's somebody who I thought was going to score 40 goals last year. Two injuries later, ended the season with eight games. Finally back and looks like he's starting. Man, I, I love Norris. I know I've said it on this podcast before, but he is such a good hockey player. I mean, we were getting to that point where I was just thinking, are we going to see a career out of this guy or is it just going to be injury after injury? And yeah, like you said, this is something we love to see. This is this is a storyline to cheer for and a storyline to keep an eye on because when a guy comes back from from things of that kind, when they're overcoming adversity, that's that's must watch. Yeah, and I think I I I do agree with you that Ottawa are, are playing some good hockey right now and yeah, I I'm I'm happy with the way the season started. There's one thing I'm not happy with, James, and well, I'll I'll rephrase. I'm happy that the suspension was what I thought it should be. Rasmus Anderson gets 4 games. I'll let you take the lead. I have him in fantasy, so I have to recognize my bias right away, even though I I, I agree immediately that it was a, a, a brutal hit, uh, the totally unnecessary play. Um, uh, I He deserved his four games, most likely. Um, I really wish he wasn't getting suspended because I'm in first place in my fantasy league right now, and that was not projected. I am not supposed to be in first, and I really would like to keep first. And I have people breathing down my neck. So a four-game Rasmus Anderson suspension, not great for me. Not great at all. But I see the Calgary Flames are looking to appeal this suspension. And I just want to think back and look, like, have we really seen many suspension appeals that have actually worked? There, It's not going to get overturned, man. No. And they're appealing this suspension more than anything because they don't want him to miss the Heritage Classic, right? Like. Yeah. And, you know, I know he reportedly is a guy who really was excited and wanted to play in it. And obviously, as a human being, that sucks that he's not going to get that chance. But it's four games was a good call, right? Like, and you touched on it. And we I've talked about it on this podcast before where like it's it's the way I the way I look at hits is. What were you trying to do? Right. And Rasmus Anderson was not trying to make a hockey play, right? He was jumping into a hit on a superstar player with his elbow extended into the guy's head with one second left on the clock, right? That's the part of this. Like, this game's over. This game is over, period. And then you do that, right? Like, this isn't like a, a middle of the third period in a tight game where you know, you're, you're trying to prevent the guy from getting a shot away. It's like, no, this game is over and you wanted to get a lick in. Right. And that's, I, I think four games is good. And I think it should be upheld and I agree with the decision. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, I mean, I think, I think that's really all we have to say on that. I think, uh, just one little note on Calgary, um, first game of the year, this team looked very motivated. I haven't admittedly watched every second of every game since then, but um, you kind of wonder what this Flames team is going to put together this season. You wonder, like, the that Pacific Division, there are seemingly a lot of spots up for grabs and a lot of teams looking to take them. And 
Calgary at two, three, and one so far. Lost six to two against uh, Detroit on Sunday. That's not awesome. That's not what you're looking for. You are looking to get some early season success. You're looking to get going and get everyone rolling as quickly as you can. And there's been some line shuffling going on, um, production here and there from all over the roster. But you you want you want more, and I think this Calgary team needs to do more if it wants to do any damage this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think I think consistency is going to be the key, right? Because you look at that roster and you know you you know what some of those players are capable of, right? You you do, and we obviously saw it last year. We saw we saw those players not live up to that potential, and I think for for that team this year. how do they handle adversity is also going to be a big thing, right? Because it seemed like a lot got knocked that train off the tracks last season. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 it was one thing after another and, you know, Elias Lindholm and Andrew Mangiapane have had good starts to the season. I think the biggest thing, honestly, James, that could happen to this Calgary Flames team right now is they get Noah Hannafin done. How much of a boost would that be if Hannafin, who looked all but surely leaving in the summer, decides to commit and stay there? I think totally, totally. I, I'm on the money with you, but as soon as you say that, I just started thinking, what's going on with Elias Lindholm? I think that one's arguably a bigger piece, right? Yeah, and they're both UFAs coming up, and it's everything's such a huge question mark in Calgary, right? If Nazem you... Kadri, Nazem Kadri's only got one assist through six games too, right? Like you, you have players that still need to get going. You have these question marks and where are these answers going to come from? And if you can't get those guys done, what are we looking at here? Right? Like, are we looking at teardown? I think you can only retool on the fly considering the contracts you've handed out to Huberto and Kadri. Well, and then the other thing that you're going to be faced with is is the question of, do you kind of keep them as your own rentals or do you try and move them at the deadline, right? Like, because obviously this team wants to contend and their best path to contending is with Lindholm and Hannafin on the roster. But if you're facing down the barrel of, okay, we're going to have these guys for one more playoff run and then they're both going to walk for free, like, how do you justify that? I have something I want to talk about that I didn't throw in the rundown, which you put together as always, uh, because you are kind of the, uh, the MVP here. Um, and it's something you would not have put in the rundown anyway. In fact, you may have erased it. If I threw it in there, what is it? There is a goaltender who is off to a very hot start to start this season, a goaltender that you don't like. <laughs> Jordan Bennington is 2-0-1 with a 126 goals against average and a 959 save percentage. They beat Pittsburgh on the weekend. Killer game from the guy. 30, uh, 31 saves on 33 shots, 939 save percentage. Um, their best player on the ice. There's spots up for grabs in the Central Division. 
it's Colorado and Dallas. And then who else is grabbing, who else is grabbing the rope here? So I don't know. You could see Jordan Bennington carry that team. It's possible. And you would hate to see it, but it would be pretty <laughs> cool. <laughs> if we were going to talk about St. Louis, I'd want to shine a light on the fact that Jakob Verana has a goal in three points in four games to start the year. Um, Love it. Obviously, yeah. No, and, and for the St. Louis Blues, you're kind of approaching a spot where this is it, right? Like, this is the last year or couple years that this core is really going to have together to try and make a playoff push. And, you know, as much as Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo are still young players, Colton Pareko's now in his 30s. Justin Falk is in his 30s. Kevin Hayes is in his 30s. Jordan Bennington is 30 years old, right? Don't forget that either. Braden Shen is 32. Tori Krug is 32. Like, <laughs> you're, you're getting to that point where the, the magic of that Stanley Cup run is starting to fade and you're starting to face down the barrel of your superstars are, are starting to decline. And St. Louis needs Bennington to not only be a leader in terms of his play, but I, I think he needs to keep himself together too. And he's done that so far. So commendable on both sides of that for Jordan Bennington and for St. Louis, you're right. Their central division, their spots open. And again, like I said, this is, this feels pretty last dance for this group. Yeah. And it's like, it's wild to say that because they're not like a big contending team or anything like that, but it's, it's true. We've seen weirder upsets in playoffs where, where teams put something together. So yeah, but I know you want to talk about Jack Rathbone. Let's uh, let's get underway with that one here. What do you got to say? Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm happy for him, right? Like, he has started in Wilkes-Barre-Scranton in the AHL. So, you know, we haven't seen him in the NHL yet with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but he needed this, right? He gets traded from the Vancouver Canucks with Karel Plasek for Mark Friedman and Ty Glover. Like, I, I'm pretty happy that this happened for him it was becoming very obvious that it just wasn't going to happen in Vancouver. Rathbone's 24. He's a very talented defenseman. And I think if you put him in the right spot with the right fit, he could have a legitimate NHL career. And I hope that happens in Pittsburgh. I have a lot to say about this one because I don't feel like it's the right fit. Now I don't feel like it's the right fit at all because currently Pittsburgh's third pair left D as of last game is Ryan Shea, who battled and earned a spot on that roster. P.O. Joseph did not play. They also have Ty Smith, who they are not playing in the in the NHL. This is such a backlogged left side. They signed Ryan Graves in the offseason. Like, it's Marcus Pedersen has a spot on that team. Like, there are three very capable guys, four of them, in fact, competing for a third-pair lefty spot. Yeah, I was going to actually get to that, that the Pittsburgh Penguins as an NHL team, there's a reason he's in Wilkes-Barre Scranton, right? And for him, I'm just happy because James, like it's, it was clear. He, it, it was almost like it didn't matter what he was going to do in Vancouver, right? It just, it okay. wasn't going to happen there. So as much as you're right, I just think he needed the freshness of getting started with a new team. I, I, and if it doesn't happen in Pittsburgh, hopefully he puts up enough of an AHL showing that somebody else would want to take him. Right. Um, I just worry about him having the role because like if he's on your AHL team he should be playing like 25 minutes a night on that AHL team well and Ty Smith's on that AHL team yeah yeah 
I can't believe he didn't get claimed, man, on waivers. I still can't believe so nobody, weird. nobody took a chance on that guy. Like after that first couple of years he had in New Jersey, like he looked like a he looked like a good defenseman and it just isn't working for him. What are you gonna do, right? I I think it's this next couple of years for both of these guys that we're talking about and Ty Smith and Jack Rathbone, this is make or break hockey here. Well, okay, so explain NHL draft decentralization, James. Oh, yay. My favorite thing to explain because it's such a great idea. Such an awesome idea. And I hope people detect the sarcasm in my voice. It's because terrible, man. As I'm so... about to outline, this idea sucks. More or less, they want to make it more similar to the NFL draft where most of these players are not on site. These teams do not have all of their, all of their staff scouting management on site. It is not a massive event and spectacle in a city where uh, an arena is transformed into uh, a floor full of draft tables and a big screen and all of this stuff getting done on the fly and all of these discussions, heated discussions and franchise altering discussions happening. Like, they want to make this a more so virtual event where yes, it is televised. Yes, it is still a broadcasted thing, right? Yes, it is still a date marked on calendars, but you're not going to see all of these guys putting on the, putting on the Jersey and walking up to the podium. You're not going to see all of these great things. And you're not going to see on the broadcast GMs from different teams, walk up to a different point in the room and discuss something. And then commissioner Gary Bettman saying, it looks like we have a trade to announce and gets burned to see that. And I hate that. And the reason that this is supposedly on the table is because teams would like to save money on flying in all of their staff. I I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Um, there is supposedly also another reason is it uh, getting all of their staff to a city and then getting them out of there right before NHL free agency opens up. Supposedly that's an issue as well. But honestly, I think this is one of those things that's not broken enough to fix. Yes, those may be some barriers that teams are seeing and that the league is seeing. But the benefit of having this event and the benefit of having this event for your players, for your fans, for everything in between, it so far outweighs the dollars you're throwing on some fights. I don't really care about your flight dollars coming from billionaire franchise owners. Honestly, build a, build a bridge and get over it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So this now has been taken to teams. It's a vote per team. The league has put this in the teams' hands. I I really love the draft. I love it. And I, I would be very devastated to see this happen, honestly. And I know this is like a, like only a major hockey nerd would be, quote devastated <laughs> about this but i i would be so crushed like i i the draft is one of my favorite days of the season um and honestly you James, every year i every year i can yeah, yeah um same, same. well and and i'm such a hockey nerd man that sometimes the background noise that i just if i need background noise if i'm if i'm playing video games if i'm whatever if i'm if i'm working in the office on something and i just don't feel like listening to music my background noise sometimes will be just finding old drafts just to listen to what the analysts were saying about the players at the time right i'll just have it in an ear i've i've fully just done that before in my house my dad's walked in 
to me sitting in our living room with like the 2013 NHL draft on and been like, what the hell are you watching? <laughs> it's like, oh, watching Nathan McKinnon get picked, actually. Um, that's a true story. Um, and I-, I love to see the family's reactions, right? Them stand up in the crowd and, you know, uh, Connor Bedard and Andrew Kristall uh, give each other a high five when Kristall went to the second round last year. Like every little piece of it. And, you know, we kind of did a decentralized draft because of COVID in 2020. And it just wasn't the same, right? It, just, it, it, it wasn't the same. And I really, really hope they keep the draft as is because it's, it's something that is currently being done right, I think. In fact, I want to take it a step further. I want them to step up the draft. I want them to make it even more of a spectacle. I want the draft to be a, an event that is must-see broadcast. I want them to have, uh, I don't know, throw a concert in there, like in between round one and two or something. Like, like I want, I want some reason that teams are encouraged to trade. I don't know what that would be, but teams are more encouraged to make moves at the time. I want this to be, I want this to be the best day of these kids' lives. You know, like I want all of this on full display. I want more more storylines and uh background interviews and little um like little little videos uh of on each player done i know we already have that with a lot of the top guys and then players getting interviewed by a a small panel after uh usually a couple picks after they're picked um i want more done i want this to be an all-in approach i don't want us to dial back like, why are we taking away from something that's already great that we could probably make better? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. I agree with you. And I definitely, like, I think expanding the draft has some significant value to it. I think you make it kind of like a, kind of like just like a league event, almost like a have the fans be able to buy tickets to like this, this big, almost like this, this, like this expo, right? Like this, uh, this teams are just in groups and you have like lines for autographs and you get to, you know, just like a meet and greet with some of the players. And you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you should be trying to expand it, not take away from it. And you said that. And I think that's absolutely right because at the end of the day, like it, it, it's, I think it's a great starting point if somebody wants to get into the sport, right? I think it's a really good starting point for somebody who maybe just isn't into hockey, like watch a draft and be able to be able to follow somebody's career, right? Like imagine getting into hockey and, in 2018 and you know the first player you see drafted is Rasmus Dahlin and then you've just followed like followed Dahlin's career from there right like I that that would be so cool to to be able to almost like have your hockey fandom grow with a player right like and I've, I've even got another idea like how about the night before round one and two of the draft let's let's make it um let's make a prospect on prospect tournament Let's let's set up two coaches and have them each pick a team, uh, former NHL All-Star game style, where they draft the team. And let's do let's do two teams and let's pick prospect by prospect and have them go out and try a bunch of fancy moves and 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 show us something cool. 
Like it, it could just be so much better. And then what you said too, like I so clearly remember um, I graduated from grade seven of elementary school the day before um, the 2011 draft. And so my grandmother came over and we, we went for dinner at the keg and stuff like that. And while we were at dinner, um, well, before we went to dinner and then while we were at dinner, I, we were, I was watching it at the house before, um, I was just watching the draft and I was so invested in Mark Shifley and Jonathan Huberdeau and Gabriel Landeskog, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, all of these guys that year, they actually did a really, really good job of the media side of it, where they had all of these like quick little montages of the players done so well. And the, the broadcast was so perfect. And I can so clearly remember that. And I have felt invested in every single one of these players that I watched that day and took an interest in that day since then. Like I wanted to collect their hockey cards. I got excited when I would see them in world juniors coming up. I would get excited when I saw them play their first game. I'd be playing NHL and I would go, Oh, I wonder how I could do this draft differently. I would be in my NHL franchise mode going, Oh, what if it was flipped this way? Like I, I became so invested, so much more invested as a fan because of the way the draft is done. I don't want to take this away for any kid growing up, for any kid at the draft, for anyone watching, for anyone who's a hockey fan. So we'll move in from draft talk into some youngsters talk. Adam Fantilli is struck with his first NHL goal. Most recently, Adam Fantilli, but now all three top picks in last year's draft have, sco- has, have scored James. Connor Bedard, two goals and four points already. Carlson just struck his first goal. Fantilli's got a goal and two points. They all look like they are pretty serious contributors to their team. And I think, you know, I, I think the last draft to be really hyped up was 2020. And it just kind of fell on its face, that draft class, right? Like, and obviously that was only three years ago. It was a very COVID-impacted group of players. So, Guys like Alexi Lafreniere, Quinton Byfield, Alexander Holtz, like we could still, Marco Rossi, especially he, because he did have COVID and a significant year of development. We could still be talking about these guys eventually working out and hitting their potentials. But this very hyped up draft class, Connor Bedard looks like the best player on the ice in every game he plays, right? Like Leo Carlson looks like such a smart player. Adam Fantilli is settling into to that spot. He's playing wing right now, but I, I I think there's a spot for him down the middle, especially if Patrick Lyonnais injury is long-term. Like, I'm really happy with what I'm seeing. Me too, me too. And Leo Carlson uh, playing on a line with Troy Terry and Trevor Zegras, that's fun. That's really fun. That's one way for the Anaheim Ducks to go, you know what, let's show this fan base what we got. Let's show them what we're putting together. You know what? They might get they might get the snot kicked out of them some games. They might be a minus three some games. But then other games they're gonna make crazy tic-tac-toe plays and finish it off with an awesome shot and make for a highlight real goal that some young Ducks fan somewhere is gonna go, This is what I get to look forward to my whole hockey watching life in the foreseeable future. Keep doing this stuff. This is awesome. Like I I love it. I love it. I love watching these young players get on the board early. It's awesome to see when they're not snake bitten for the first 15 games of the year. That's awesome. Fill the net. Let's go. Some young stars that didn't make the NHL have had lightning hot starts. I want to start with Joshua Waugh, James. 
Joshua Waugh was an absolute stud for Canada at two World Junior Championships. And he was a guy I kept watching. And I, I kept thinking, there is no reason this guy, all these skills for this guy aren't going to translate to the next level. Like, he was somebody who screamed to me, you are going to be a super effective second line forward in the NHL. Do you disagree with me? Like, uh, I don't disagree with you, but I want to kind of open it more to like dynamic third line center as well. Yeah. And for him, three goals and eight points in his first world juniors, five goals and 11 points in the one last year, back-to-back gold medals. He didn't make the Montreal Canadiens out of camp, but he's starting with a Laval rocket, five goals and 11 points in five games. His first five professional hockey games ever. He's got five goals and 11 points in the second best league in the world. That is such a good start. The AHL is a very hard league to play in, man. And very Joshua so. Waugh has been on fire. And he's not the only one. But you can talk about Joshua Waugh before we get to the other guys. Well, I kind of see an interesting scenario for him here. Like, you look at your Slavkovsky not off to an awesome start. You look at Kirby Dock going down with injury. Both those things happening in Montreal. Figuring out where Alex Newhook fits into the equation you kind of see a spot where Joshua Waugh might be able to go play on the big club for a few games here. I don't see why not. Especially the way he's producing, right? Like, like I understand the argument against, like you want the guy to keep being a number one priority for whatever coach he's playing for. So I understand that reason to keep him down. So you can, you can have him elevate his game as much as possible. Give him a whole season of regularity at the pro level. Um, maybe call him up at the end of the year so he doesn't have to do the back and forth. There's no disheartening send down just because some guy uh, who's an NHL veteran or or something along the lines has been acquired or comes back from injury and takes his role away. Like Sometimes that could be disheartening for a young player. So I get that argument, but there is a spot here. There is a, a path to him playing some NHL games this year, and I think that's an exciting thought. First three professional games of defenseman Olin Zellweger's career with the San Diego Gulls, man. The Anaheim Ducks, like, we talk about the Buffalo Sabres and their future. Anaheim looks like a team that's going to be strong. And Olin Zellweger is going to be a big piece of that on a defense core with Drysdale and Mintyakov. Oh, man. That's almost unfair. And a goal and four points in his first three games with the Gulls is a great start for him. Yeah, um, I'm. I keep hesitating to start talking about him because I think this is three straight episodes we've talked about him, <laughs> and I don't see it stopping anytime soon because we're the kind of nerds that are going to look at the AHL numbers all the time, and yeah, um, I'm going to go light on him because again, this this is something that's going to be recurring here. I still think he could be the best D out of their out of all the ones they have. Very much so. And not by a slim margin. There is nothing to say, or nothing I've seen that has shown me that he can't be their best player even. I'm not talking about restricted to just defensemen. High praise. High praise. Yeah. They, they just drafted Leo Carlson. Like Yeah he very well could end up being their best player. Someone in our keeper league just picked him up because they're not a very good team and they want to stash him away. I get it. I understand. 
if I wasn't a competing team right now, I probably would have done the same thing. Logan Stankovan, 201 points in the last two seasons with the Kamloops Blazers, 21 points in 14 World Junior Games over the last two tournaments, back-to-back gold medals, four goals, seven points in five games with the Texas Stars. This is a guy, one of those guys that just fell in the draft because of his size. He's only 5'8", 170, projected as a first-round pick in 2021, drops to 47, and the Dallas Stars are laughing that they got him that low. He's got so much skill, so much hockey sense. His motor never stops going. I'm, I'm really happy this guy's had a great start. Just because of how good the Dallas Stars are, I don't see him playing in the NHL this year unless, say, there's an injury down the stretch or going into playoffs. Um, I think you want him to compete and take a spot in camp next season. I think that's what you want. You don't want to clear a, a runway for him. You want to have to have him work for and work for his spot and take it as in like, this is my third line right wing with a uh, second power play unit spot. This is my role to take and I'm going to use it to launch my NHL career and work my way up the lineup and play with top end players. That's what you want to see from him. Do you disagree with that at all? No, I don't. I think, I think when you're dealing with a player that needs to learn to adjust to the professional game, a full year in the AHL is not a bad idea at all. And we're talking about a guy, like I said, five foot eight, right? That's when you're a player that's small, the adjustment to professional from major junior is going to be tough. Looks like he's been handling it very well so far, but obviously you said it right. You want, you want to keep getting those minutes and keep getting those, you know, keep getting relied on in those key situations. The AHL is the best spot for him. Last two guys quickly, Yuri Kulich and uh, Connor Zari, both have played in the AHL. They're the two guys on this list that aren't rookies. Kulik's first season was last year with the Rochester Americans, 24 goals and 46 points in 62 games. He started off very hot, four goals, six points in four games. James, the fact that that Buffalo Sabres forward core has Isaac Rosean and Yuri Kulik both in the AHL, having not even broken yet. Matthew Savoy as well. Like, this is unfair, right? Like we, we've talked about the Sabres team a lot and the the absolutely just they've got so many good players. And Kulik's just another one. And man, I really like this guy. Yeah. Um my only concern with all of these Sabres forwards is Who's going to end up being part of the long-term plan? Who's going to carve out a spot on the roster in the next couple seasons? And who's getting traded for a big rental or a big piece? You can't fit every single one of these electric young forwards on the roster. It's not going to work. So what's going to happen? And that's just what I want to watch and wait and see. Yeah, and Zach Benson's out day-to-day, unfortunately. Right. Jack Quinn is still hurt as well. Devin Levi's listed as day-to-day. It's Lukanen and Comrie as of right now, and that for the Sabres. Again, I, I still believe in this Buffalo group. I believe in that top six defense core. I believe in their forwards. I believe in Levi. I think they're going to turn it around. But, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how all these young pieces mesh together. Connor Zari's the other one. Took a step from year one to year two in the AHL. This is now his third season. Eight points in four games ready for the Calgary Wranglers. 
Calgary had a very good team last year. Matthew Phillips led the way. Phillips is gone now, so it's kind of uh, Connor Zari's mantle to kind of grab. You know what I mean? Like it's it's with Phillips out of the way, he's kind of the guy on this team now, especially on that forward core. And looks like he started pretty well. And yeah, we just got to hope that that's going to continue for him. And he's he's a player that could still very much be a top six forward in the NHL. And we say still, and like it hasn't even been that long since he was drafted. And it's just there's so many players. There are so many great players. I'm so curious to see which one gets traded and has an insane career. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair, right? Like, yeah. like prior to the year we were talking, well, not necessarily us, but a lot of people were talking about the possibility of a Connor Hellebuck trade for Buffalo. And then, like, what would the package have been going the other way? Like, you never know. It could have been Yuri Kulik and, and Uko Pekalukunen. Very well could have been. I I would have probably said yes to that. But yeah, it's uh it's gonna be really, really interesting to watch how things shake out uh in Buffalo and in Rochester. Do you want to uh move on to junior here? What have what, what have you been seeing so far in the uh in the junior ranks? Oh man, we got this kid in Prince George in the WHL. Like it's <laughs> it's hard when you have these guys coming out of you know coming out of either the the elite you know whether it's the british columbia elite hockey league you know the 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 former midget triple a ranks in in saskatchewan and in british columbia and in alberta um but this kid Tarek paraskak lethbridge alberta native he was on the CSSHL first team all-star last year, 32 goals and 66 points in 30 games. And the Prince George Cougars, he wasn't really on my radar in the NHL draft. 15 goals in 12 games, man. This guy's taking the league by storm as a first-year player. And all of a sudden, we're talking about somebody who's working his way right up the draft charts in 2024. I don't want to say he was unknown because, like I said, the Canadian School Sports Hockey League is a good league. And for him to be a first-team All-Star, that's a really, really notable achievement. But he has played so well for Prince George to start this year, and he has played himself into first-round conversation. And sorry, where was he ranked going into the season? I I didn't have anything on him, right? Like He was just prospect eligible for the draft, right? And he was a 78th overall pick by Prince George in the Bantam draft. And it, has there been a big growth spurt or something like that? Like what why are we seeing this out of him? James, it's all about fit, right? It's all about fit. It's all about opportunity. He had a great year with Edge School last year, and he's just getting the chance in Prince Prince George to excel, and he's excelling, right? Like we've talked about it on this podcast before that the talent gap between players that make it and players that don't in hockey isn't that big. It's it's all about opportunity and fit and how comfortable you are and who you're playing with and how many chances you get and who your coach is. And and for Paraskak right now, like he's really making the most of a good opportunity and you got to commend that. You're right. Fit is huge. 
fit is definitely huge. Um, my laptop just did something really odd where, you know, when you go and click the unmute button and it's usually just like you have a MacBook as well. It's usually just your your little your little uh, mouse icon. But the mouse just jumped to 10 times in size for about a second. And uh, that that threw me off big time. But yeah, just finishing that thought. Yes, it is all about fit. And and uh, I I hope we see something like this continue. I mean, that goal pace, I'm not going to say it's unsustainable, but it's pretty much unsustainable. Um, you just hope that he's going to end up having a dynamite year and skyrocket his way up the draft charts. Let's uh, let's see what he can do. Sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle and keep going for years. Sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle and you're drafted early and it's not something you can keep up, but let's uh, let's hope it's all positivity for this kid going forward. So speaking of lightning in a bottle, Black Falls, man, holy crap. This team, 11 straight wins, tied for first in the AJHL. It's always more fun to work for a team that's doing this well, right? Everybody's always in a good mood. And for the Bulldogs, back-to-back wins against two pretty good teams in Drumheller and Spruce Grove at home. And yeah, um, watch some of this team play, James. Like, these guys play great hockey. Like, I'm really happy with how they've been playing lately. I mean, have you ever been on the other end of it where you're working for a team that's historically bad for the year? Yeah, like... I wonder what that's like. Yeah, and I think... I think you almost... The the thing that I've never been is on a team that had the high expectations and then underperformed. That would be the worst, right? Because when you're on a team that knows that they're not they don't have championship aspirations and best case scenario they're trying to just get into one of the last playoff spots every time something good happens you're happy right so and then when the losses come they're just kind of bumps in the road right but it's it's when a team has high expectations and is losing that 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 to me would be the worst team to 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 need to deal with right and um but man the bulldogs and i have to just shout out one specific player Dakota McIntosh is leading this league in points right now. I have actually, James, never seen a better player in offensive transition in this league. He is unstoppable when he gets the puck in his own zone. He already committed? Not yet. It's coming, apparently, (laughs) from what I can tell. Um, From the scouts that I'm seeing at the games. (laughs) I can can see the logos and the jackets. I know who's watching them. (laughs) And, yeah, it's... it's, He's something to watch. There's the power this guy has at this level is is hopefully gonna take this team a long way. I'd love to go on another deep playoff run with these guys. Yeah, I mean it's not just fun for them, it's fun for you. It's it oh, makes totally. the job significantly more interesting. Oh, and just the games, man. The playoff games that mean something. There's nothing like it. There's just it there just isn't. Well, love to hear it, man. I think that's uh that's all we've got for junior. It's uh, time for what makes us us. We've got some closing thoughts. We've got, I mean, we're going to do questions, maybe a little trivia. We'll talk about movies. Where do you want to start here? Yeah, let's answer the questions. I threw something up on the uh, the Instagram today. So we got a couple couple from, from every which way. Why don't you start with, start with whatever one you want to go with first? Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's start with a really easy one. Pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? Where do you stand? <laughs> where where are we going here? Well, I don't mind it at all. And I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, like I don't mind it. And I don't really understand the like, 
you know, the the adamant opposition to it. If I didn't like it, I don't think I'd be like Vietnamese, like fundamentally against it the way everybody else seems to be. Okay, well, I am very much pro pineapple on everything. Uh, if I'm getting like pub nachos done up, I want pineapple on them. I am, I will put pineapple on pretty much anything. If I'm cooking some chicken breast, say I'm I'm marinating them in teriyaki, I'm cooking them with a pineapple slice on top. Like I will, I will put it on anything, and I will die on that hill. Um, I am, I am overly and outwardly a pineapple on pizza and everything guy, but also as, as a man in his twenties that um is single and is on dating apps, you see that a lot of people have their bios as. Um, give me your opinion on pineapple on pizza. And honestly, it's a losing battle having that there for both the person uh, giving you their opinion and the person asking their opinion. Because for one, you're starting off with a boring conversation with someone you don't know. And then it's a boring conversation that someone likely has a passionate opinion on. So I, I, I would like it if people stopped doing that. But I would understand if they didn't because as uh as humans we can be kind of boring sometimes so i uh i'm, I'm a no-go on, on the on the on the the heated discussions on them but i am a go 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 on the pineapple itself death row meal okay this is a complicated one for me this discussion came up when i was at work or sitting in a room somewhere i don't remember it's been a recent discussion for me and I always, when I'm ordering takeout, I I like to order sushi because I can have multiple different things. I like to be able to pick at like six or seven different things. That's my ideal meal in any scenario. I love the idea of a three course meal where every course is like slightly below medium size because you get to enjoy everything to its most. And that's like why I love Thanksgiving Christmas dinner, like the traditional turkey dinner type beef, because there's like nine different awesome things on the table, you know? So for me... It's a full-on smorgasbord buffet style. Like I'm, I'm on death row, and I'm walking up to the table and grabbing. I got, I got uh like some spicy prawn roll. I've got chicken strips. I've got like two or three different dessert things. I've got a couple of different kinds of appetizers. I've got uh, a few different kinds of meat there. I've got um, maybe. Maybe when you go to a nice restaurant and they have that fancy, like oily Parmesan Brussels sprouts kind of thing going on. Like I, I want a billion different appetizers. That is, that's my death row meal. I want every appetizer you could possibly think of Hand it over. I want to taste everything possible, especially if this is my last moment. What do you got? I love crab and lobster and I don't get to have it much because it's expensive. <laughs> so like, probably that just and I think part of it too is like I said like it's something I really like that I don't get to have much if if we're just talking like my favorite food I love a good Mexican restaurant and maybe it's a plate of enchiladas with like rice and beans and everything Um, yeah but actual death row meal I feel like I need something more decadent than that so yeah Hmm. some good shellfish okay cool well on the shellfish note um whether it's this coming summer or a summer after in the foreseeable future, we'll we'll take you to the island. We'll we'll get you out in the Alberni Inlet on my uncle's boat, and we'll pull out the crabs from the traps by hand, and then we will take them, boil them, 
and we will cook them and do them all up and you can pick it apart yourself and get the full proper experience. West yeah, Coast, yes. That'd be sweet. <laughs> that'd be it's perfect. Very, very satisfying. Very much. Um, okay, so let's go. Let's do worst tape job ever. Um, when Kevin Fiala was a rookie, and I used to do this when I played ball hockey, and it was acceptable because it was ball hockey. It is not acceptable to do on the ice. He had just like one strip of hockey tape on the front of his blade and nothing else. That's very much like a roller hockey thing to do because you don't want the tape on the floor because it kind of messes with your stick handling. But in ice hockey, it's terrible. I hate it. I hate looking at it on a stick. That That's the first one that comes to mind. What's that thing that Tyler Bertuzzi does? Oh, it, that's the thing he does. He goes, no, no knob. He's going to tape a knob on top. No handle, no tape up top, nothing. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah, yeah, the stuff on the blade doesn't bother me as much, but like having a knob on the end of your stick, like whether you're one of those guys who does the the curled up like like uh like candy cane style strip of the thin strips, like like sure whatever, but like no knob. Is that not a safety hazard? It's bizarre. It's a bizarre choice. I I just don't get it. I don't understand the, the, the fascination there. Is it just to be different? I have no idea. I mean, regardless, that's what it is for me. <laughs> yeah, I would hate it. I couldn't. Like, it would just like, You see so all weird. the players. You see all the players on the bench and the, the knob of their stick. Uh, like, if, if that's the way they hold their stick up, like, there's no knob there. That's just wrong. And, like, does it not? Do you not, like, lose grip at the end as well? You would, yeah. Like, and it would feel weird because he doesn't have like a. Not only does he not have a knob, he doesn't have anything in the top of the stick, so it's just like Nothing. open. So then, if you're holding it at the top of the stick, I feel like you'd notice that there's like a hole in the top of your stick. You know what I mean? I would hate that. I couldn't do that. Well, that's that one for me. Uh, let's go most underrated hockey nation. What do you got? Latvia, easily. Mm. Not yeah, just because. Yeah, like. Not necessarily because of, like, the quality of, like, their players or their national team or anything. That country loves hockey, and they don't get enough credit for how much they love hockey. If you watch Latvia hockey games in Latvia, like, the crowd, and it's it's awesome. It is so cool, and I think I think that's a slam dunk. It's Latvia. Like you, 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 you obviously you talk about Sweden and Finland and Russia and Europe and how much they love hockey and everything, and but Latvia. Lavia really, really loves it. It's their sport. And, you know, whether or not that national team is, is you know, a top 10 in the world. And they just won bronze at the world championship, which was really cool. Um, but, man, do those fans love that sport. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. I'm going to go a little bit different here. And uh, I'm not basing it on the fans. I'm basing it on the location. Uh, when players, when there's been a lockout and players go to Switzerland, they rave about how it is the best. Joe Thornton found a wife there. Like, like, and every player has talked about this is just the best thing ever. Um, we've also covered that I'm a big hockey card nerd. One time I trade with a Swiss hockey fan on Instagram, and uh he sent me over a bunch of players. Um, he sent me over a bunch of like base cards of hockey players from Switzerland when NHL players went over there. So I had like a Matt Duchesne well, when he when he was on whichever team there and a bunch of other stuff it was it was a really cool thing to see you've talked about like 
like Tyler Sagan and Rick Nash and Joe Thornton, all these other guys going over there. And you wonder how much of an effect it had at the time. And you look now, we have Nico Heischer and Roman Yossi is probably the two best Swiss players in the league. Kevin Fiala, Timo Meyer, not far behind. On the younger end, um, JJ Mosier, Akira Schmid, um, kind of in the mid-range, uh, Nino Niederreiter, Philip Kurashev, Pia Suter, Denny Mulgan, Jonas Siegenthaler, and most recently, 22-year-old Tim Burney. I I think Switzerland is becoming very slowly a more and more powerful hockey nation. And I think we are going to see them probably have more prospects in the pipeline coming up to the big league soon. I don't know who we're watching for. It's got to be some. All right. Who will be the season's first fired coach? You go first. I'm not sure, man. I hate cheering for this. I don't want to see guys lose their jobs, but like, I don't know. Ugh. You always see the who's on the hot seat uh, power rankings of coaches to get fired on whatever sports app you use. And I hate reading that article because usually it's like, okay, who who has the worst situation and the most pressure this year? And then a lot of the ones I read this year had Mike Sullivan near the top. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like I don't get it. The guy's one of the longest tenured coaches, most accomplished active coaches. Leave him be. Like, no. Not at all. Um, You could take a look at a, a team, a middling team. You could go St. Louis. You could take Craig Berube. He's been there a long time. And that's one of the criteria usually is, has this coach been there a long time? And where are they going? Are they going to a place where this coach was most successful with this roster? Well, that roster's not there anymore. I don't know. I felt like if he was going to get toasted, it would have happened already. So who will be this season's fired coach? I am not picking a name. I'm breaking the question and saying it will happen in December. There will be a team that is doing below expectations in December, and a coach will get fired very early on in December. That's my prediction. Yeah, I think I was given this a lot of thought today. I think Craig Berube is probably the leading contender for me and you're right that like the team's different I think that's kind of the problem right like it's it's a whole new group really like there's obviously the leftovers from the team that he won the Stanley Cup with but it's a lot of new players and if that's just not a fit that's just not a fit right um I completely agree with everything you said like it's it's a bummer to see this right like we remember what happened with Bruce Boudreaux last year and how like that clearly like negatively affected him and yeah um Baruby's my answer but I I do like the direction you took with it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, we have one last question. I'm gonna let you answer it first because I'll probably dissect it further, uh, even though it's such a simple one. Uh, how did James and Aiden meet? How did this story start? How was the Great Canadian Hockey Podcast born without us knowing? It was. I mean, in a broad sense, it was when we were at BCIT, we both graduated with a broadcast and online journalism diploma, started in 2020, finished in 2022. Really, James, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure it was the beginning of our second year in like the radio rotation when we were in that room together. And I believe the group we had 
it just kind of fell that you and I ended up just always hanging out with each other and <laughs> yeah um and had our lunch together and went and we grabbed food together from Tim Hortons all the time like it was just just stir the way Friday that, stir Friday yep um oh oh I miss that dude um oh. We yeah, should was... go to the BCIT cafeteria and get stir fry. You live close enough. I do. I do. Um, I, don't, I don't really feel like paying for parking, though. That's fair. Um, yeah, and it's it's not a very exciting story. And then at the start of last year, right after we graduated, I was, you know, I was interested in doing a podcast. And James and I was really the, the perfect duo to do it like him and i have had the conversations we have on the podcast was just what we talked about every day in person like so, these career trajectories we did for the majority of our episodes early on that was just something that in passing by um say okay there was we had a massive project where we all had to make a documentary in in the end of our second year at bcit and that resulted in a couple late nights in the building and um late nights Aiden, Aiden two, actually yeah two twice I slept in that building twice juice yeah um <laughs> but I would just be working on my project and I would walk out of the room because I didn't feel like staring at a computer for a minute and um and Aiden would just go he would name a bunch of players or uh he would name a player's career trajectory and I would go oh yeah Mike Camilleri and he's like what the hell man and that's pretty much how that went that's that's how we became closer we we would play nhl player hangman as well that was a <laughs> massive one um but i think if i'm boiling it down to our our first time actually seeing each other's names was probably on a zoom call like a few weeks before the our first school year started together yeah it must have been right like that's kind of how like Lucas, Lucas and I actually basically met over Zoom because like we ended up in breakout rooms and stayed in them and talked in them, right? You yeah. and I didn't really have that, but yeah, that was our introduction to each other was the little face on the computer screen. Yeah, I can photographically remember that that exact moment. And I'm like flipping through all the people on my phone on the little mini screen and I'm going, I wonder who I'm going to be friends with out of these people. <laughs> and I just remember going, I have no idea. Let's see how that goes. And then we, because it was during COVID and a lot of our learning was virtual that first year, um, we were split up into four subsets among all the people in our programs. And I mostly only spoke to the people in my subset because you only really went into the building with them. You only really um, talked in classes with them as much. And, uh, but yeah, then it came around a second year and uh, as luck would have it, we became great friends and here we are. All right, you want to go to trivia? Yeah, you got anything for me? Uh, if you ask me one, I'm sure I could think of one. I did not prepare for this part. Okay, I'm going to give you a career trajectory, and I'm going to think of a player off the cuff right now. Okay. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to... Because <laughs> always the way I do it is I think of a player whenever I do this off the cuff, and then I go to their hockey DB... And then I click on a roster that they were on once. And then I find an obscure name from that roster. You you think of something hard and then make it tougher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to give you a, a doable one. Yeah. Okay. 
I say doable. This is definitely more doable for me. But um, uh, okay, so I mean, as you guys may have recognized, Aiden and I each have our strengths and weaknesses. These World Juniors ones, he can walk circles around me, and then players who primarily played in the two thousands, I can, I, I will be dangling through his feet left and right, nonstop. But um, not to toot either of our own horns here too much. But okay, so this player played from the 2001-2002 season to the 2014-15 season. And I'm not looking at Aiden's face right now because I have a full screen window open, but I imagine there was just a bit of a sigh. Um, uh, so it went Carolina Hurricanes, Edmonton Oilers, Carolina Hurricanes, Montreal Canadiens, Dallas Stars, Detroit Red Wings. I feel like this one's very doable. Again, here's what happens. There's a name that pops into my head and then... Like I, I have dismissed that name, but I'm not sure. But then it's really hard to like have a different name end up in my head, right? Like it's it's I'm I'm hyper fixated on one player and I'm pretty sure it's him. And instead of dragging this out, I'm gonna say Eric Cole. Bang. Nice maneuver. Nice. nice maneuver. Okay. I remember and... he had one year with David DeHarnay where they both like went off on Montreal's yep. first line. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you, uh, th- there's three here because I compiled three names. Okay. Okay, so this is an active player. NHL career started in the 12-13 season. Um, so career went Dallas, Ottawa, Calgary, Washington, Edmonton, Vancouver, Detroit. And when I say active player, that just means the player has not announced retirement. This is screaming goalie at me. And I I have a name in my head, but it doesn't check every box, so it's not him. Like, Anders Nilsson was in my head, but I know for a fact. And you like, are like, so far off. Like, you I couldn't know. be further off. I know, and like... Like I think three of three, if not four, of those boxes are checked, but they're definitely not in that order either. <laughs> um, like at least like he definitely played for Ottawa and Vancouver, and I th- think Edmonton. Um, and his career started around that time, so I'm gonna actually stand by that as like a initial thought but it is not my guess because i know what (laughs) (laughs) i just am defending myself a little bit the reason it couldn't have been anders nilsson is because there's no islanders yeah they drafted him i know yeah he played games would you like a hint sure give it to me then this player was not drafted by the first team the dallas stars because he was traded there before he played his first nhl game our gear is turning. Did that one help? Yeah, yeah, because I can, I can almost like, oh man, like, there's a piece of me that like almost, I've got this trade in my head that I'm like, oh, was it this specific trade? But it, I don't think the timing works. Sorry, repeat the hint again. Oh my god, I convinced my, I confused myself with my hint. My hint is actually inaccurate. Okay, then I'm, then I know who it is then I do know who it is because it was part of the Jason Spezza trade, right? Uh-huh. Okay, it was Alex Chason then. Yeah, I gave you that yeah. one. Yeah. I, 
me messing up my hint gave you that one. It did. Well, because it started get to get me thinking about trades around that time with Dallas. And I was like, oh, the Spezza trade. But it's like, okay, no, but it couldn't have been because he went from Dallas to Ottawa. And if yep. he wasn't drafted by Dallas. So you were right to question my hint. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay, are you ready for player number three? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this NHL career spanned from the 2000-2003 season. Sorry, the 2002-2003 season. Up until the 2017-18 season. Career goes. Montreal. Columbus. Ducks. Leafs. Ducks. Avalanche. Ducks. Again, there's just this name. And <laughs> this happens every time where there's, there's the name in my head. And it's it's hard to shake. And... Oh, man, I just – three stints in Anaheim is hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I know who it is, though. I just cannot remember him in Columbus at all. But I know he checks at least two trips to Anaheim and Toronto and Colorado. Francois Beauchemin? Yep, that's right. Bingo. Sweet. Yeah, he had uh, 11 games with the Columbus Blue Jackets at the start of the 05-06 season. Yeah, see, it was – it wasn't even like the first Anaheim. I just remember him as a Leaf, a Duck, and an Av. And then I was pretty sure there was at least a return trip to the Ducks. Yeah, that hint was going to be that it was very briefly a Mighty Duck and not just a Duck. I don't know if that would have helped. No, no, I just like that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, you got some for me? Well, I was going to talk about this. So I don't know if there's anybody listening to the podcast that have, that has come here from the YouTube channel or not. If you are one of those people, that's awesome. I really, really love that. Um, the context is like since I was like a kid, like we're talking like 14 or something, I have just had this YouTube channel. It's called Canada Owns Hockey, and it's really kind of grown into something I never like wanted it to be, which was something that like ends up feeling like a responsibility for me. But every year I pump out just like a bunch of world junior content. And again, like we've talked about mental health stuff on this podcast um i have a mood disorder and that often leads to me like going through phases of things um i'm in this very very intense world junior phase with this youtube channel right now where i'm just pumping out a bunch of videos for me to post during like the different world junior seasons coming up um so every piece of trivia that's in my head is about the world juniors so i said that to get there but also i know there's people that listen to this podcast that are like listening to us to try and get into hockey james maybe isn't the best thing they could be doing because we're idiots but um if you are one of those people go check out that youtube page because the world juniors is the best way to get into hockey it is the most passionate raw you're playing because you love the game high level of hockey you can find it is so amazing um and so keeping with the the theme of world junior hockey championships and again like we talk about this like being my bread and butter so it's hard for me to gauge like what's a realistic question to be asking James I know I asked him about the MVPs before oh no I will even I will give you the years and the team that won the tournament okay if I'm giving you a year and a team this team won the tournament in overtime in the final 
and I want you to try and name as many goal scores as you can. Are you ready? So I'm going to go since 2010. Oh, God. So backwards. 2023 Canada. 2022 Canada. 2016 Finland. 2014 Finland. 2012 Sweden. And 2010 USA. How many of those overtime goal scores can you give me? 2023 Bedard. Oh, already, dude. Oh, yeah. That's wrong. Well, 2022 is Kent Johnson. Yeah. 2023. Was that Logan Stankovic? It was Dylan Gunther. That's right. I started seeing the handedness of the shot, and I was like, Logan Stankovic, right-handed? It was right-handed. You got that, yeah. Yeah, because that's where I went immediately, and that's why I went, okay, Bedard. Stankovic, yeah. yeah. Just go down the list of right-hand shots. And now I've got 2016 Finland? Yeah. Holy Arvi? It was Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, again. Wrap around. Again, I'm going right-handed player on that roster. Yeah. I love that you went here because this is already my weak point. 2014 Finland. Okay, I'm going to circle back to this one. What was the last one? Last two, 2012 Sweden and 2010 US. Okay. 2012 Sweden. I watched this game. I can see where I was where I went when I watched this game. It was on a really small TV in my bedroom in Lynn Valley. You remember those big boxy TVs that everyone had in their basement? Oh, yeah, dude. I had yeah. one of those for way too long. My dad was late to the flat screen party. Yeah, this boxy TV, I, I I got a lot of life out of it. And I can still hear the noise it made when you turn it on if the volume wasn't up. And then you get your hand near it and there's that static. <laughs> okay, 2012 Sweden. I'm picturing the roster. Do you want... <laughs> I should have given you these players' career trajectories. That would have been a funny, like... I probably would have got those. Yeah. Can Although, I make the 2012 Sweden player? 2012 Sweden? Okay. This player, I think, was the main piece in what might turn out to be the most lopsided trade of the 2010s decade. Oh, it's Adam Larson. Mika Zabanajad. Oh. Because Adam Larson couldn't Adam Larson could have been on that roster. He could. Was he, he was eligible to be. I think he might have been in the NHL. He was probably already in Jersey. Yeah, I don't think he because I know for a fact he played in 2011. Because you but said I, part of a lopsided trade, and I was like, Hall for Larson. Oh, done. Dude, I think Zabanajad for Broussard is like. Mika Zibanejad turned into a 40-goal in 57-game player. He had 91 points in 82 games last year. Derek Broussard for the Ottawa Senators. Very good playoff for them. Singular, yeah. (laughs) And I attribute that more to the Senators falling apart. Why the trade sucked? Yeah. Dude, I I understand what you're saying, but... Mika Zabanajad, but it's Zabanajad, yeah. Like, <laughs> look at what he's turned into, right? Like, okay, last player, uh, American defenseman, one team his whole career. I know it's a good player, too. Excellent defenseman, right handed shot. Yeah. Oh my god, 
Why didn't I get this earlier? Okay, for some reason, I thought this guy was on the... Did this guy play in more than one World Juniors? The guy that scored this 2010 goal? Yeah. I believe so, yeah. And he's very good now. Oh, yeah, like he's... Insane. Yeah, I... Yeah, for sure. John Carlson. Yeah. Okay, and I still need a Sweden one, right? 2014 Finland is the one you're missing. 2014 Finland, that's the one I'm missing. Okay. 2014. Another, this was another right shot defenseman. <laughs> yeah. I want a hint for this one too. I know I shouldn't get it, but I I'm I, I need to I need to get something here. Eighth overall pick in 2013. He played in three world junior championships. This was his last one. And this was the last this moment. Is, this is Ooh, okay, okay. Is this player have a terrible career plus minus? Oh yeah, like abhorrent. Like nightmare fuel. Yeah. Yeah, it's Rasmus Ristolainen. Yeah. Okay, so I went what three for five? Two and a half for five? No, there was I went six. There was six. Yeah, I went three for six. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, when you gave me the question, that's better than I thought I was gonna do. Yeah, well, and again, this is like the the it's kind of like James said when before he asked the Eric Cole one. It's the the two sides of it. Yeah. Yeah, listen, if you are somebody, and I again, like I said, I know these people are listening to this podcast because like some of these questions that we get, and I I I like the questions, don't get me wrong. Like I'm this isn't in any way an indictment or a criticism of the questions, but when we get questions that are like very, very basic stuff, um, those are from the kind of people who are, you know, new to the sport. And again, if you are new to hockey and you want to get into it, World Junior Hockey Championship, well, you will fall in love with this sport. That's it. It becomes more important to you than Christmas at times. Dude, it's I'm it's October 23rd and I'm fired up for it already. Like, OK, well, we've done that part. Apparently, it still is the Great Canadian Hockey Podcast, even without a couple of great games to play. But we we checked that box this time. What movies have you watched in the past week? What movie are you bringing to the table? I watched Marriage Story, and I really liked it. Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson both give just very, very impressive, raw, believable performances as two people who have fallen out of love and are going through a divorce. I loved it. Like I really like Adam Driver. Yeah. It was so good. Okay, and what's heading here? You you watched this with Caitlin? Yeah. 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 I was gonna say this probably wasn't one you were watching with your, your boys that you know from the hockey world. Oh yeah, no, but like it is it it it, it, it is still my kind of movie. Like I like I know I've said this. One of the things for me that makes me love a movie is loving like the lead actor's performance and both Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson give those kinds of performances so it's definitely like I would definitely have watched it on my own but this was on me and Caitlin's list and I think yeah we both loved it it was awesome I I don't know if we talked about this right when I started bringing up the movie thing and right when we started adding this as, as something we were doing but uh I watched a movie with Adam Driver in the summer uh Daniel Radcliffe is the lead role in it it's called the F word I remember this. I think we talked about this. 
phenomenal flick and that's what made me want to check out more adam driver movies because we've talked about it before i am a star wars nerd obviously i saw him in that but guy was kind of handcuffed writing wise from being able to put on a top end performance and uh yeah like he is deceptively funny great at drama great at conveying emotion like i want to see him in more high-end stuff i agree with you so my movie I checked a major one off the list. It's It wasn't Gone Girl. I haven't done that yet. But I have a good friend of mine, and we 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 kind of redid our movie lists so that we have we each have our critically acclaimed list, and we have our overlap there as well. And we did it on, like, an Apple note. I don't know if you knew that you can share a note with someone so, you, so that you can both edit them just on the Apple notes which is nice because I always knew you could do that on like a Google sheet, but it's huge for random nerdy things. And so I finally watched Saving Private Ryan. Dude, I get why it got best picture. Like, wow. Okay. And so the last war movie I'd watched before that was Dunkirk and Dunkirk was hyped up to me as being potentially Christopher Nolan's best movie. And I was so let down just because of that comparison. It was a phenomenal flick. But when I get told it's Christopher Nolan's best movie, possibly, we've got a pretty high bar there. Like, a very high bar. Like, I hold Interstellar and the Dark Knight movies in very high regard. And, like, Dunkirk just didn't compare to those. It just didn't do that for me. It didn't make you care about the characters enough. It... It was an overarching thing with a, with an ensemble cast of all doing things together. The way Saving Private Ryan had everyone go onto the beach, get through hell in what is probably the goriest opening scene I've ever seen in a movie. Um, not for the faint of heart, for sure. Um, yeah, like that 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 was that was a messy opening scene, but it makes you care about every single one of the guys in Tom Hanks's crew all for different reasons and as they pretty much all get picked off other than a couple guys it, on this adventure and, and mission that none of them feel they should be going on so they can find one person save their life and get them home in a very bloody terrible stage of the war like it it did sup, such a good job of just making you care and making you feel invested and a lot of the time, a movie that's three hours long can have points that drag on. There wasn't a second of this movie that dragged on. I have no idea how I've gotten this far in my life without seeing it. That blows my mind. I know there's a lot of movies like that. And that's why this is a mission of mine to keep checking these movies off the list. But wow, what a banger. Have you seen it? You've seen it, right? I watched it at school when I was like in the eighth grade. They showed this in school yeah and i haven't like been back around to it since i remember like again i was i i think i was 13 years old so i remember obviously like it was it was hard to watch at that age <laughs> um i remember liking it like again minus the 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 like the impact it had on me as far as just kind of shaking me up a little bit um i do plan to revisit it for sure you have to like you absolutely have to it was crazy like oh it's one of those movies where like tom hanks is one of the best to ever do it for a reason like you look at his catalog 
and saving private ryan catch me if you can the green mile like like that's just the tip of the iceberg too like forrest gump castaway like it's wow i i recommend oh i recommend this movie to anyone who isn't too disturbed by gore and that also reminds me to recommend another movie to people it's called greyhound it's on apple tv um it's tom hanks getting a supply run. he's the captain of a uh a, a, a navy ship doing a supply run across the atlantic to help near the end of world war ii and he's getting chased by u-boats and they're sinking everything around him and it is an absolute graveyard out there and he's just trying to get across and that that's one of the best war movies i've ever seen because it's a different approach to it but yeah yeah man like i I couldn't recommend and rave about this movie enough. I looked at my friend who I had also watched Dunkirk with a month earlier. And we just went, that completely blew Dunkirk out the water. Like it wasn't even in the same stratosphere. And I understand a lot of this is relative. A lot of it's opinion based, but damn, damn, that's wow. It was that good. And uh, this brings me to the question. What's next on your list? Because I, who knows if I'll honor it, but what's, uh, what do you got next? What are you looking to watch? Again, like, I don't know if these are necessarily going to be the ones like I bring the next couple of times. Um, I mean, we're coming up on Halloween. I've never seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street. It's on Netflix. I think I'm going to check that out next. Um, That might be tomorrow night, actually. Okay. There is a Rebels game that I was going to buy me and Caitlin tickets to. Um, She didn't have a great day today, and I'm going to be the really, really nice boyfriend and, like, you know, have, like, the night in with her tomorrow and then not go myself either. So maybe that's what we do is we watch a horror movie. (laughs) Um, So maybe it is tomorrow. I think that'd be cool. Next on my list, Titanic. Never watched Titanic. Um... That is Caitlin's favorite movie. I think it is uh, overrated. <laughs> Not That's, to say... Tell me. Yeah, and overrated doesn't mean bad. It's a good movie. It's not, like, going to change your life. <laughs> like, it, it's 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 solid. Yeah, it's good. No, and then... Uh, 7 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, um, and then obviously Killers of the Flower Moon just came out. Martin's oh! Leo, like, that's, that's must-watch. James, I'm so fired up to see that. Like, my... Uh, my my best friend Cameron is flying in on Thursday and I think we're going to go to the heritage classic on Sunday. That's what he's coming for. But I think Friday night is going to be that movie for sure. Oh, and speaking of going to see movies in theaters, I will actually be seeing another movie in theaters next weekend. And I'm going with my 15 year old brother because he grew up playing these phone games and I saw the trailer and it looked fun and intriguing. I'm going to go watch the five nights at Freddy's movie with my brother. That's, I wonder how that will, like, I'm not expecting it to be, like, good, but I wonder if it, I wonder how that's going to be, like. I think it's going to be fun. I hope it's not, like, a total waste of time. Yeah, I hope it's fun. uh, That's what you can hope for, right? Like, it's not going to be this amazing movie, but you got to, like, you have to create an enjoyable movie watching experience if you're going to make a movie like that. The reason I'm intrigued and the reason I want to go so bad is I don't remember the last time I saw Josh Hutcherson in a movie and he's the lead role. The Hunger Games? 
Yeah. Yeah. And but like that's back, that's the one that comes to mind. Back then he was also in like Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh Bridge Terabithia, like like remember we were kids, Zathura? I do not remember that. I cannot uh, say. RV I... with Robin Williams. He was a voice in Polar Express, like kicking Was it... he really? He was in all of these movies. Wow, I don't know if that would have clicked. And yeah, he was just in everything when we were growing up. And like all of those random Disney movies where it's just, like some dogs or something. Yeah. Like he was just in a million movies and then now you don't see him in anything. And he's, I don't know, he's like 30 something now. So I, I'm excited to see what he's going to do. And with just a movie that's fun and a movie that is centered at kids who grew up playing some games that no one our age has ever really looked at. So, yeah, I think that's that's all I got, unless you have anything else to add. No, no. That's a good way to end it. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, it's appreciated. And uh, to any new listeners who may be hopping over from YouTube, thank you for tuning in. I hope uh, we've given you something that, that you may like and add to your uh, add to your go-tos. And if not, thanks for tuning in anyway. So without further ado, thank you, everyone. Let's roll that out, Joe. Cheers, guys. <laughs>